Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rattledgen Broadcasting premiere podcast, Damn You Hollywood, and I'm your host, Mr. Mark Rattledge, your mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified. And tonight, we are reviewing Free Guy. Free Guy is a 2021 American science fiction action comedy. It is all those things and more, and it was directed by Sean Levy with a screenplay from Matt Lieberman and Zach Penn. It stars everyone's uh, favorite sweetheart, Ryan Reynolds, who plays a non-player character in an open-world video game and decides to become the hero of this story. Um, it also stars Taika Waititi, Jodie Comer, Lil Rel Howery, Ukkarish, Ambed... Food car. Don't bother, don't bother. <laughs> and Joe, I will try. I will always try. And Joe Carey, that voice you hear ridiculing me is, of course, Alexis Haina. How do you do, madam? Driving through Nashville and it won't stop raining. I It thunderstormed every day I was in Florida. I am so sick of the rain. Yeah, I'm, that's... You gotta come, you gotta come, like, in the, the spring... Once you once you get into the like August, September, October area, you you're getting into like prime hurricane season, uh, and it just rains all the time. Yeah, it's like nothing nothing like going to Disney World and being told, Nope, can't get on the slinky dog uh dash roller coaster. We saw lightning in the vicinity. Yep. <laughs> this This is why I, I go at very specific times. So, um this was a movie that uh, was part of the Fox purchase. This was a Fox movie, and then, you know, it, it got swept up with Disney, and some of the changes that were made to the movie, from what I've been told, were very obvious. We'll talk about that once uh, Disney took over. There was talk that this might not end up in theaters, and it might end up in Hulu, and it, it, it actually did end up in theaters. Um, this was not one I was running out to go see, but we had an open week on the schedule, and when my kids, specifically saw the trailer and saw what the premise of the of the movie was they were like we have to go see this thing it's like well if i'm taking my kids i might as well talk about it now you don't hate ryan reynolds so i would imagine that was one thing that appealed to you was there any other reason why you wanted to see this other than i asked you to review it with me well not only yeah i do love ryan reynolds he is such I've mentioned this before on the show many times that when an actor looks like they're actually having fun, you can sense the enjoyment and you really start to enjoy the movie more. Ryan Reynolds is an actor who just exudes that. He always comes, so many of his films you watch and you can tell he's having a blast. He loves what he does. And that enjoyment is very contagious. But the other part of it is that I am a gamer. I I'm not. I don't do a lot of uh, open world games online, mostly just because I don't have the time. But I am a gamer at heart, and I love the idea of expanding this world with the NPCs. I thought this was very clever. And admittedly, I was worried at first it was going to be full of cliches and stuff. But this movie goes out of its way to avoid a lot of cliches and story arcs that we've seen like this before, and I was very impressed. Yeah, I was not expecting a meditation on the nature of artificial intelligence and the preservation of life, <laughs> which is which is the theme of this movie wrapped up in this really, you know, this goofy story. And 
you know, we'll get into it with the plot and everything, but I was shocked, you know, and there's been some discussion within our within our group cohort about it, and you know, somebody had mentioned that oh, they they thought the the story they, they thought the theme of the movie was trash, and I'm like, the theme of the movie is that all life is worth preserving. You know, at the very least, innocent life is worth preserving. And the reaction I got back was, well, no, not all life is worth preserving. And I'm like, okay, well, that's the end of that discussion. (laughs) Uh, That's the moment where you go, I am clearly not going to enjoy going down this rabbit hole. We're hitting reverse. Right. But that's what, you know, but that I, I did not expect that kind of meditation in a movie like this. So I have to say... Um, without getting too far into it, I want to start the, the plot synopsis. This was, this was, in my mind, and I don't know if you agree or not, but of all the summer blockbusters this year, this was the best. This was by far the best movie of the, of the blockbuster mainstream variety that I've seen all summer. I would say this and The Suicide Squad, probably those two up there as the two best. But frankly, those are also two very different films. Suicide Squad is an R-rated, very bloody, and while this movie does have a lot more action, it's a little more cartoony action. Hell, Taika Waititi plays the most cartoon villain I have ever seen in a live-action movie. Pretty (laughs) hilarious. I I think a lot of people forget Taika Waititi actually, yes, he is an Oscar-winning director, and he's an amazing Oscar-winning director. Robert, Pat, I can hear you guys twitching every time I say that. But he started as an actor, and he's a good actor. He, he's very cartoony, and he likes to be very uh, very over-the-top and three-dimensional. But you know what? His character works so well for that. This was not a movie where we wanted him to play it safe and play the straight man. You know, we have our two straight char- or straight man char- uh, characters with... Um, uh, uh, the, talking the about uh, Jodie Comer. Uh, jo- I was going to say Jodie Comer as Millie Rusk. Molotov Girl, and then um, Joe Curia's Keys. Um, okay, we lost Alexis momentarily there. Yeah, uh, for the record, are. again, I am currently driving. Yeah, you're you're. Your weight. <laughs> We're going to move on here because you're uh, wherever you are, you are coming in poorly. So let's get into the plot synopsis here. Uh, Free City is an open world video game developed by Tsunami Games. Its code is stolen from a game called Life Itself, developed by Walter Keyes, McKee, and Millie Rusk, and made into Free City by Tsunami's head developer, Antoine, played by Taika Waititi. Keyes has since taken a job at Tsunami while Millie spends time with Free City as her avatar Molotov girl to find evidence of her, uh, her and Keyes' code and prove they were the rightful owners of the code. In the game, Guy, a, nine, a non-player character NPC, works as a bank teller and spends his time with his best friend Buddy, unaware his world is a video game. One day, he encounters Molotov girl who is singing the song he says his dream girl will be like, will like and begins to deviate from his programming. He takes a pair of sunglasses from a player who tries to rob his bank, through which he sees Free City from the player's heads-up display. Guy speaks to Millie, and she thinks he's another player as Blue Shirt Guy, and tells him to level up over 100 before she will speak to him again. Guy opts to become a good guy, completing missions within Free City to reach level 100, during which he becomes a worldwide sensation as players watch the progression of Blue Shirt Guy. Millie and Guy meet up again when she breaks into the stash, another player's well-protected area within the game that holds evidence of her source code. 
Guy helps Millie escape the stash, and Millie recognizes that Guy is becoming sentient and believes he can help her find the original code within the game world. Keys and Millie realize that Guy's self-awareness came from came about from code containing Millie's personal preferences that Keys had included in life itself, which in turn had led Guy to develop a romantic interest in Millie. When Millie tells Guy the truth of his situation, Guy breaks off their relationship, telling her that he's in love with her. However, after, taking, after talking with Buddy about the situation, Guy realizes there was something more than love in that relationship and gains full sentience. Guy returns to Millie to agree to help before Free City is wiped from Tsunami servers to make way for Free City 2 in two days. Guy breaks into the stash again with Buddy's help, but now its owner, recognizing Guy as Blue Shirt Guy, gladly hands over the evidence. Guy's continued popularity threatens the launch of Free City 2, and Antoine orders Keys and his new partner, Mouser, to reboot Guy's programming, but Keys refuses and is fired. And Antoine reboots Guy himself. In-game, Millie finds Guy without any memories and his uh, memories of his sentience, but recalling Keys' advice that Guy would need a reminder, she kisses him. Guy's sentience is restored, and he recalls the location of the island, part of the life itself that will not be protected from the pending data wipe and is the only proof of Millie and Key's original code. As Guy and Millie persuade the other NPCs in the game that they are more than their programming, Antoine tries to delete Guy and Molotov Girl from the game, Keys interferes to protect them and direct them to the island, broadcasting the effort to all now-booted Free City players. Antoine then sends Dude, a bigger and dumber copy of Guy, developed for Free City 2 into the game, but Guy is able to befriend him. Antoine takes a final step of destroying the game servers, but Guy makes it to the island in time, an event seen by gamers all over the world. Millie coerces Antoine to turn the Free City code and the intellectual property back to her and Keys. Without the support of Millie's and Keys' code, sales for Free City to tank, and Antoine becomes wrapped up in several media controversies. Keys, Mouser, and Millie start a new company with the recovered code to release Free Life, bringing Guy, Buddy, and the other free NPCs into it. Free Life becomes a sleeper hit, Thanks. While thanks to Guy, Millie realized that Keys' code was in fact a love letter to her, and they embrace and kiss. Okay, so just a few quick points on the um, the craft of this. One, it's a very aesthetically pretty movie. This has got some very sharp color palettes, which is the point. It's supposed to be a video game, but like, like there's a lot of you know blues and bright greens and just. Like, the whole movie is very brightly animated and colored, and it was a, it was, it, even if the movie itself had been terrible, it was at least pleasurable on the eyes to watch. Um, Agreed. I actually saw the movie in 3D, and it's not a big deal until Guy puts on the glasses, and you can see the video game graphics leaping out over the buildings and everything, and that looks amazing. The scene where he just starts looking around the city and you see all of the different missions and the graphics and whatnot is so cool looking. And they knew to put a lot of effort into that. For the record, can you hear me a little bit more clearly now? Yeah, now you're fine. Okay. So, so I liked, you know, Ready Player One was a riff on the same subject matter in terms of what is it like to live in, what is it like to live inside a video game? And... You know, so, it's, it's funny. My son's reaction to Free Guy was, I wish there had been more Mario references. And somebody else said something very similar to me. They were like, they wish there had been more direct video game references within the game. And I'm like, we already had that. We had that with Ready Player One. Ready Player One was just a turducken of, you know, 
multimedia intellectual property references. I didn't want that here. And I'm making a point of comparison because because Free City, a uh, free guy in the game itself, Free City, is so very clear and not just stuffed to the brim with crap. I actually got a crisper vision of what this world was, and it wasn't just... Like, if you watch Ready Player One, it's it's got some pretty cool sequences in it, but it's very overwhelming for the eyes. There's so much going on. Like, you talk, we talked about that with Space Jam 2, you know, where every frame is just, sh- is just, like, crammed with IP to the point where you have to slow the movie down or stop it entirely and kind of pick out the little, you know, the little Easter eggs here. Like, I'm glad... I didn't have to go through that with this. This, you know, those movies are exhausting. This one was a joy to watch. I can understand that. I don't mind movies like that, and I didn't mind that with Ready Player One. But I'm also going to say that Ready Player One is one of my favorite books, so I'm probably a little bit more on the bias side. Now, I agree with you, but I do wish that there had been a few more references scattered throughout. Not overwhelming to the level of Ready Player One, but during the climax, Guy manages to pull out Captain America's shield, transform his arm into the Hulk, pulls out the portal, the portal gun from Portal, and the gravity gun from Half-Life 2. N- that was awesome, especially the uh, Chris Evans cameo, which... Oh, don't forget the lightsaber oh. from Star Wars. Oh, and the lightsaber, yes, thank you, the lightsaber. Not to mention playing the music from uh, those scenes, which was a really nice touch. And again, I don't wish that the uh, game had been, or the movie had, yeah, the game, the movie had been oversaturated to the level of Ready Player One, but I do wish there had been a few more Easter eggs, because when all of a sudden he pulls out Captain America's shield and the Avengers theme plays, it's very sudden and a little WTF-y. I laughed. Um, I, I, I laughed more at the Chris Evans, like, what the shit line. Yeah, that was, like I said, <laughs> that broke me. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> and the rest of it, um, not William Bibiani, the other one, Whitney Seibold of uh, the critically acclaimed guys complained about that. Like, it's just, it's just Disney sort of flexing its musculature. Like, look at all the IP we have. If you do it once... In quick succession, it's fine, and I didn't think, and the and the and that was kind of the joke. Was look at us, look, at, we, you know, we own your childhood. So he does a Marvel thing, he does a Star Wars thing. You, you, you know, he references two more games. I had no idea what the what those were. I don't play either one of them. Um, and you know, and that and that's a fun little sequence for people who got all those references. We all laughed at it, and then they were back to telling you the point of the story. And I think, and that's where I'm, I'm disagreeing with the people who are like, you know, more references. No, no, no. Tell your story. Tell your story with these characters. Focus on the relationships. Focus on your themes. Do the jokes in limited quantities so that they have a greater impact. If it's the whole thing is laden with, um, with references and jokes, it, you're gonna. The, the, this is the kind of thing that Robert and I complain about constantly. Like that's all the movie ends up becoming. Um, I really liked the idea of this story where you have a seemingly innocuous NPC. Um, and it's funny because the, the whole point of this game is it's kind of like Grand Theft Auto where you're a criminal and the idea is to do criminal things and hurt people. Um, which, you know, Grand Theft Auto has become like a worldwide phenomenon. There's several iterations of it. People love this game because they, they want to have the power fantasy of being the bad guy. Okay, I'm not going to debate the merits of that or 
deconstruct the psychology of it. it it is a part of our human existence clearly it's made a lot of money fine i accept that so say, I've, I've i've often joked before i play video games because with, if i try to pull if i try to do a scorpion and pull somebody's spine out of their back i go to jail yes you, you would go like, to prison for at least five years <laughs> um but no, but no, yeah, there there is something about a stress relief of getting to perform violent acts in a video game that we know we never be able to do in real life. Right. I understand that's not for everyone, but there is something to it. There is a real psychology to that. So the so the movie in sort of turning that on its head and saying yes, but have you ever you know have you ever thought about the mental consequence of living out a fantasy of hurting innocent people? And what if, you know, and, and what if you got to know those innocent people as people? What would that be like? And I was like, huh, this is kind of a dopey movie asking some really interesting questions. It doesn't really do anything with them. Um, we have to move the movie on, and, and this can't be just a two-hour intellectual exercise. But I at least like the fact that it took some time to ask those questions. And then the next thing it does is, so you have this NPC character who is evolving and developing self-awareness and becoming artificial intelligence and then it's like okay this isn't this is no longer about retrieving my intellectual property and receiving uh recompense for said intellectual property this is about saving an intellectual this is about saving a life you know a life that has come into existence and that life is precious um and then you have the opposing point of view from the from the villain character of going, no, it's I don't artificial life isn't real life. It's intellectual property, and I can do with do with it what I please. And of course, the counterpoint to that is, well, no, you can't. <laughs> Once it developed self awareness, it became its own thing and no longer your property. And so, again, the movie sort of wrestling with that. Um, it, it clearly has the point of view of no, 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 no. It, it's you know right to life here. We have the right to protect this life. Um, you know, and so it's fine that the movie took that stand. You can disagree with it if you want, but again, I like the fact that the movie actually took time to deal with that. One of the things I really like, again, I mentioned that this movie manages to avoid a lot of cliches, is the fact that they do explain how these characters are gaining sentient life. We've seen a story arc like this done before many times in movies, TV shows, and whatnot, but often it's just life finds a way. If I can quote Jeff Goldblum. These these care. It's just like I don't know how, but he has somehow gained consciousness, and he's now gives like no. We actually do find out that this is part of the code that Keys and Millie put together. The they actually designed the original game that these characters would continue to evolve. So there is an explanation for that, and again, I thought that was really well done. I like the idea they're actually saying why these characters are gaining senti lives and self awareness. It's not just oh my god something you know clicked in there and now it's working you actually have a path for these characters and you know how they got started on it it's very impressive yep um i liked there wasn't a character i didn't like in this i mean you're not supposed to like taika waititi's antoine character he's the villain but let me just talk about that for a second because i know like that kind of esoteric over-the-top flamboyant character can get on someone's nerves I think the film knew when to use him and when not to. I also want to give Taika Waititi credit to not being that way the whole time he's on screen. He has, excuse me, he has moments of acting like a human being, you know, especially when he talks to Keys. You know, there are, there are times he calls him like Padawan and, you know, he's being goofy with him. But then there are other times where he kind of has to tone it down and talk to him like a person. 
And the other thing about him, and, and something we, that comes up a, a lot on these movie reviews, is how you treat your villains. He's motivated, you know, he, he's running a company, he's motivated by making money, and I and it, and it's too easy. Like my my daughter like is is going through her communist phase right now, where you know money is <laughs> <laughs> the money is the root of all evil. I'm like okay, oh, okay, Lily, so, you know, who, who's supported by her parents. She will go through that again. I hate to say it. If you go through a communist phase once, you will go through it again at least three or four times in your life. Just, <laughs> just heads up. So, I, and I, I look. We've all we, we've all gone through it as children because you don't understand how the world works. And so, it is a very easy thing to say that you know money should not be the impetus to all things. And it's like, okay, I get it. You're a child, um, but. It would be too easy to sort of dismiss him as, oh, he's just motivated by greed. Okay, he's running a company, a company that employs, you know, thousands of people and is invested in millions of dollars. I see his point of view. He wants to sell video games. That's what he's doing. And every decision that he's making, including up to and including the termination of the guy character from the game, is in the service of trying to sell more video games. Okay, I get his point of view. I I sympathize. I sympathize with his motivations. Um, his, Agreed, his, but they, his, but they also managed. To, I say they also managed to make him hilariously immature, and that's part of the thing I love about it. Again, I mean, yeah, he is a bit of a greedy character, but I love that every time he, you know, is trying to stop guy, all he can think is like, okay, boot off, boot the players off, and they're all just like, we have several hundred people playing. You want them all? I was like, yeah. He doesn't even hesitate. He just immediately screams, like, turn off the game, boot them off, do you know, reboot all this, and everyone's just like, you not get how that's going to impact the game. You, I mean, you cannot just flip a switch and automatically it comes up. And I love even just the reaction of some of the uh, staff members. The art department, it kills me when they're just, when they're told to release Dude, and they're like, he is nowhere near completed, and they're, Antoine just says, no, release him, and the head artist says, remember this moment before we were all fired. <laughs> That, that was hilarious because it's clear that yeah the reason he stole code is because he does not have enough patience or real creativity to himself to actually create this game himself he is very petulant very whiny but so many people are like that and again he plays it for laughs mm -hmm. this is, again Sean Levy clearly told Taika Waititi to just essentially embody a whiny tantrum or whiny toddler throwing an epic temper tantrum that when he doesn't get his way but doing it in a still suave and cool style i mean this is a guy who the first time we see him he walks into the building and he looks at a guy in his cubicle and says hey, hey you are so fired mm -hmm. we don't even know who the hell that guy is he just looked at him and he's like i don't like you i don't know why you're here get lost yeah it's he's kind of doing his riff on a more like esoteric version of uh, Tony Stark. Yeah, like, that man's playing Galaga. It, to the point that when he shows up, he's wearing those comically hilarious. I don't know what the hell those shoes were. They look like a combination of inflated Air Jordans and moon boots. <laughs> yeah, they kind of look like the shoes from Back to the Future. The sneakers. Um, yeah. So I have to, Ryan Reynolds and Jodie Comer have fun chemistry together. I don't know what else Jodie Comer has been in. Um, she's not a classically pretty gal. She's pretty enough, but she, you know, she's 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 got average good. She's got average girl good looks um, for movies, 
and I've never seen, and I don't think I've ever seen her in anything. She's fantastic in this, and when she's decked out as like Molotov girl, she is she. she <laughs> that's quite the costume she's got. It's really it, it's really a lot of fun. She's actually um, she plays Ray's mother in the Rise of Skywalker, and she's coming and she's going to be in the Last Duel coming up later this year. It looks like she's also done a, a lot of television, which I will reiterate, I have seen none of her and I've seen none of these things that she's been in. Uh, yeah. But I thought she did a great job with this. Agreed. They did a very good job actually giving us a separate persona between Moltoff Girl and Millie itself. So then when Mal- when when she comes back, when she realizes what's going on and she drops her accent filter, which was hilarious because Jodie Comer is a British actress. And it's a, it's a really great way to help establish them both as separate characters, but still they are the same character. So when she become when Maltop Girl just basically drops the act, and it's just Millie's avatar, it is not jarring. This is something that a lot of filmmakers are not able to do. In fact, I love a lot of the avatars. I love when Keys and Mouser show up. Keys goes for what he calls the stripper uh, cop, and Mouser is dressed as a pink bunny with guns which i'm 99 percent certain is a reference to the banana guy from Fortnite. yeah some, i'm sure something like that i think that, you know it, which, it's a uh, uh the character dude is going to be added in Fortnite. he is going yes. to become a playable character proof that if for i might need to talk to uh, my godfather about my investment account because if Fortnite you can actually buy stock in it it might not be the worst thing in the world to get some shares on that Probably not. Um, I just want to say this about the about Jodie Comer. Um, her character of Millie Rusk, who, you know, she was stolen from, and she just wants proper recompense for the effort she put into writing code. I actually, you know, as, a, as, as single-minded as, as she was, they did not... They, they tend to write... Uh, Hollywood writers tend to write those kinds of characters as being way too shrill too single-minded kind of you know just one might even say like there's almost nothing wrong with her character which might be in and of itself a problem yeah, um she's a little too perfect or say so they do tend to make a lot of these female characters into mary sue's nowadays or skywalker sorry i had something mm-hmm. in my throat <laughs> um but i but i here's the thing like on the one hand, she's probably a little too perfect. She's probably, you know, I don't find anything to be wrong with her. Um, she's, you know, one, she's driven uh, to, for, she's she's driven to be validated for the work she put into Free Life, and then she's driven to save the life of this uh, self-aware character. Okay, that's all fine. Um, she doesn't, Guy's the one with the arc, which I guess is fine. He's the lead character. She's just sort of there to help him along. In that sense, she's a little flat. Um, but I don't want to be too... Um, I don't want to complain about her too much because I enjoyed her as a character. She just, She's just a flat character the whole way through. She's, you know, like I said, she's there to support Guy. Um, Ryan Reynolds plays a great four-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> he did a good job with that. Let's face it, there was a couple of scenes was like, uh, Reynolds, your inner Deadpool is showing. The scene where he's uh, smarting off to the old woman. There's a mission in the game where you can help an elderly woman find her lost cats. And he just finally, when he finally breaks down after learning about that life 
is a game. He just goes up to her. It's like, okay, someone Reynolds uh, briefly for a moment slipped into Deadpool. I thought he, <laughs> he um, is still very funny, so likable. Yeah, I thought he did. I thought Ryan Reynolds, you know, who love him or hate him, um, and we certainly know people who hate him. I, uh, he. I, I think for the most part he's just he's doing yet charming Ryan Reynolds uh, innocent character um, not a big stretch there for him as an actor I, I like the little you know the trip that he goes on you know in as far as he's motivated by love he you know he wants to impress this girl so he does a bunch of things but he want but in in his heart he's a good person and so he doesn't want to do bad things so he finds a way he finds a workaround where he can be the hero. Um, it's not much of an arc. You know, the, the arc is more inherent in his becoming self-aware than it is. And, you know, and he starts out differently uh, at the beginning of the film than he is at the end. But it was still a kind of a fun ride to go on with him. Um, you know, more of a bump, not an arc. The Keys character actually has the best arc of this entire movie. Uh, and again... I'm glad that, you know, they, they, they obviously made him kind of, you know, a, a programmer geek type um, type of character, but he's not, you know, but he finds, he's the one that goes, that has the biggest arc in that he finds his backbone by the end of the movie. Um, though I want to talk about that for a second, because, and I, and I want to get your take on this, because they went out of their way to make Millie find, you know, find him in terms of love. You know, at the end of the movie, when she realizes that he's left her all these breadcrumbs and love letters, and she goes to him and she's like, I've been, you know, it's been you all along. As opposed to him, who throughout the course of the movie, um, finds his, you know, finds his courage, finds his, uh, his backbone. And then at the end, when he should have all of those tools to chase after Millie and say, it's been you all along, Millie, he goes and gets coffee instead. And he thinks that she's distracted by the game and guy and feels rejected. And I'm like, did we, are we afraid of just having strong male characters in these movies now? Is that what's happening here? I don't, you know, I don't know. That's kind of why I wanted to get your reaction to that. Like, I feel like they did him a bit of a disservice at the end by having Millie be the one to find him and not him be the one to, you know, to go to her and be romantic. Um. All right. She's. We've. That. That's my thought on that. Uh, Alexis will break back in when uh, she's currently not in a tunnel somewhere. So See, I actually thought that was a oh, really great bit of writing. The fact Miller says in a tunnel. I'm in the foothills of Tennessee. Okay. No. Okay. So I actually really. Okay. I actually thought that was a really bit great. A really nice bit of writing. Because the earlier established when a guy tells Millie that he loves her, she says, it's just something in your programming that does that. Mm -hmm. And again, so many previous versions have just been like, yeah, it's just a coincidence that the girl you love is this real life character. But they realize that Guy was specifically programmed to love things about Millie because he's programmed in that way. He decided to have have Guy be a character who would never be able to find, who would always go after the girl of his dreams, but he had to create the girl of the dreams for him to go after, and he decided to model it after Millie. And again, that's where you get a lot of the re realization. You have the moment where they uh, both go out for bubblegum ice cream, which, for the record, I've never had. Sounds and, gross. 
Yeah, it does. I, I don't even get the appeal of putting bubblegum in ice cream. That It's like, why do you want to chew on bubblegum while you're eating ice cream? That, that, that doesn't compute for me. But I thought that actually made a lot of sense, the idea that that's why Guy would be so into her. And the realization of that, not to mention, I do like the fact that Guy does tell Millie that it's like, I'm a game character, you're real, you know that I will always have feelings for you, but I understand that you cannot spend your whole life in this game. You have to exist in the real world. But that is really good writing. They, so many previous versions have done cliches like that where it's just, the perfect girl is this, is human and it's a coincidence and they somehow try to find a way to be together even though they can't. This movie was very mature about that and it said, no, that's not why. There is a reason why he is in love with her. It's because he was programmed by someone to love her. They cannot be together. He's an NPC. She is a real, she's a real person. Again, very smart. We lost Alexis. Give me one second here. All right. Uh, we're just going to move forward here. Uh, apparently, the we've lost Alexis for the time being. I'm not sure if she's going to be able to come back. Uh, let me just conclude with the music in this was really a lot of fun. Uh, the mu <laughs> We heard the, I, I think it's called Fantasy by Mariah Carey and all the commercials. Um, there was an ode to, like, the Humpty Dance, which is one of my favorite songs by uh, a band you may have heard of called Digital Underground. So that was funny. Um, I think it's one of the ones where he finally, uh, where, you know, where he starts doing missions and, you know, he, he's made to look like a badass and all of that. So that's fun. And if you want to listen to the soundtrack and hear the great songs that were included in Free Guy, you can check out our link in... Uh, in the description of this podcast for amazonmusic.com that's get amazonmusic.com slash w2m network um click the link we're giving away a free 30 days of the amazon music service you can stream all the music you want for free for 30 days and if you like it you keep it you pay the monthly fee it's fantastic if you don't you can kill it uh cancel it no problem and uh, you can ugh. you can go ahead <laughs> sorry I got distracted go ahead and uh, cancel it with no with no problems that's just fine um, all right let's gonna try we're gonna try and get Alexis back in here again so yeah uh, go ahead and click the link get amazonmusic.com slash w2m network to get your free 30 days and as I said if you uh, want to cancel the service you can no contracts and if you want you keep it keep paying the monthly fee I enjoyed the music I'm sure you will too hey we lost Alexis a little ways back and she was talking about the uh, romantic interplay between Millie and Keys go ahead Alexis go ahead and finish your point like I was saying, I thought that it was very clever writing to actually establish why a uh, guy would have these feelings for her. Again, we've seen this cliche done in so many other movies, TV shows, and books, and it's simply a case of it's a coincidence that, yeah, he falls in love with this girl. But no, there's a reason that they share all these common interests like bubblegum ice cream and swings and that one song by Mariah Carey. It's because Keys programmed him as a love letter to her, and I love that realization at the end. I felt this movie does a very good job of, as we put it, setting up a breadcrumb. It sets up a path, and it leads to that path. There is no, there's no points in this movie where you simply go, well, it's like that 
because, or, you know, well, it's just the suspension of disbelief. The writers knew how to lay an intricate path to have things wrap up at the end, and I really like that. Okay, um, overall, like I said, I thought this was, I, I said to my son, you know, sort of a life lesson in giving th- things you wouldn't have normally given things a chance. You know, I told him, like, I wasn't going to go see this movie, but I knew they wanted to, so we did, and I ended up really enjoying it. It was probably my favorite movie of the summer, as opposed to Black Widow, which I was looking forward to for over a year, and it wasn't nearly as good as I wanted it to be. So you gotta, you got to learn to give things a chance. And so I'm really glad I saw Free Guy. Um, I know there are... It's pretty well... And we'll talk about this in a few segments, but... It was pretty well appreciated by critics. Um, it's got nearly a near-perfect audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. I think most people are coming away from this having really enjoyed the movie. But some didn't, and we'll talk about that momentarily. Um, give your final thoughts. I just want to make sure that I add, because if I don't mention it, I'm going to regret it. Channing Tatum's cameo was <laughs> just so brilliant. I people do not realize how funny of an actor he actually is and i loved his role in this just how he geeks out and then the moments where the he's an avatar and then you have the guy the, the clearly geeky guy playing him breaking in that line it's like god mom you're interrupting my live stream you're 22 and you live at home there is no god <laughs> oh god that line was hilarious not to mention it was fun seeing so many uh let's players and live streamers that many of whom i do follow in real life get to do cameos in this seeing jack septicai actually in this movie i geeked out so hard seeing that he is amazing and i, I love have... his videos so years ago um and eventually we'll be really re-airing the episode um around the time of whenever the new um paranormal activity movie comes out I took my daughter to go see Gem and the Holograms. Oh, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> and Gem and the Holograms plays a lot with the YouTube milieu um, and has a, and had at the time that it was made a bunch of YouTube people in it. And I hadn't the foggiest fucking clue what I was watching. <laughs> there, There is a culture on YouTube that, and I'm a part of that, I guess, because, you know, we submit all of our podcast whatever to youtube i'm on there now in both video and audio formats or you but like i don't outside of a handful of like specific film things like midnight's edge or red letter media i don't necessarily follow youtubers but it was so funny because like again i'm going to reference whitney seibold he uh he talked about he's tried to put movies on for he's i guess a six-year-old and he's tried to put movies on for his six-year-old and he was like i'd rather watch youtube and i was like oh good i'm not the only one my kids knew who these people were. And, you know, and like, my daughter was, like, elbowing me. She's like, that's Jack Yakety Schmackety. And I'm like, I don't know or care. <laughs> like, they could have all been, you know, just made up for the movie, and I would have never have known. But my kids were just tickled pink that they saw YouTube celebrities in a movie. Well, I do not have the time to sit and talk about the nightmare that was Jim and the Hologram, so I'm going to just step aside from that. But yeah, I thought that this movie did a really nice job paying attention to the not only to the YouTube and the gaming community itself, while still having very interesting characters actually in the movie. See that that's the problem with previous movies that have done this and tried to you know do a little homages to the to YouTube culture is that that becomes more the focus than the actual characters in the movie, and then you're just getting hit over your head with the metaphors and it's not enjoyable. 
these characters are very fun and you want to watch them so you enjoy seeing characters like Jacksepticeye and the others giving uh, analysis about it in little side bits. That's kind of fun. Side note, rest in peace, Alex Trebek. This was his, fi- this was, uh, his final cameo. This was like one of the last things he filmed before he died. And it was very touching to see him uh, up on the screen like that. All right. With that said, here comes the money. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Money, money, All righty. This film um, was the number one movie of the box office this past weekend. It also apparently was the most, was the highest earning non-previous IP film in the theaters. Uh, and I think it had the, the best opening weekend of anything that wasn't a sequel or other, or other franchise movie. At a budget of 100 to $125 million, that's probably a little low considering the marketing and you know how much money it cost to delay this thing for a year but that's what it's saying 100 to 125 million and it's currently as of this recording made about 50.9 million dollars uh there's an article out there i haven't read it yet but there's an article from variety about how despite the fact that this movie is kicking ass at the box office given you know the current state of the of things there's a uh, movie theater still have big problems um and not to get sidetracked or whatever, but we just had announcements about uh, Hotel Transylvania 4 being pulled from theaters and sold directly to Amazon. Venom 2's been delayed a month. I, I you know, the, the Delta variant apparently is wreaking havoc everywhere. You know, just here in the Tampa Bay area, something like 700 cases of COVID within the school system itself, have, you know, and in the first week of school have happened. Jonathan Davis, the singer of Corn, just tested positive for for. for guy tested positive for covid um and they've had to cancel two shows and delay five of them the uh, the corn and stain tour somebody from fallout boy got sick with covid and they had to drop off a couple of shows and reschedule some others so we're having fun alexis <laughs> the, the world is a fun and interesting place doesn't help that you and i both live in states that could be considered freaking petri dishes how was Kansas a petri dish state? I, I, I get Florida. Missouri. I live in Missouri. What did I say, Kansas? Yeah, it's like how many times do I have to tell you I live on the Missouri side. <laughs> okay, Alexa. So, um, to, to, to help me, to tell why is uh, no, not you, Alexa. That was a joke. <laughs> oh my god, that just did everything that I wanted to do because I just flipped you off through the phone. I was like, never mind. That just was a better punchline. How is Missouri like a big petri dish state? Because we are have we, Missouri has one of the highest infected rates for COVID out of the entire country because we have three, two major metropolitan areas, one semi-metropolitan college town, and then everything else is a bunch of small town yahoos that think Josh Hawley's a genius. So for the weekend, Free Guy debuted at number one. Um... Uh, Don't Breathe debuted at number two. Jungle Cruise fell two to three. Respect debuted at number four. Suicide Squad. <laughs> Suicide Squad is is one of those rare things where like the critics loved it, the audiences loved it, and nobody went to go see it. Uh, fell from well, one to five. Saying, didn't ever didn't everyone just see it on each? I watched it three freaking times so far on HBO Max. Yeah, none of that makes a shit of difference in the box office. It fell from one to five. Old. Uh, which, because of its exclusivity, is actually doing not too bad. Um, that fell from three to six. 
Black Widow fell from four to seven. Stillwater five to eight. The Green Knight six to nine. Space Jam seven to ten. Escape Room two nine to eleven. Snake Eyes continuing to crater and putting Paramount out of business. Uh, eight to twelve. F nine um, fell out of the top ten finally and dropped to thirteen. The Boss Baby eleven to fourteen. The Forever Purge twelve to fifteen. The Quiet Place two thirteen to sixteen. Raging Fire from Wellgo USA Entertainment debuted at number 17. Uh, Nine Days, 14 to 18. The uh, Anthony Bourdain documentary, Roadrunner, fell from 15 to 19. Coella, which has been greenlit for a sequel with Emma Stone, watch me as I put my head through this wall, fell from 17 to 20. And then um, some other debuts this weekend from Sony Picture Classics. The Lost Leonardo debuted at number 28. Emma with one M, uh, from Music Box Films at number 30. The Meaning of Hitler, in case you were wondering, from IFC Films, debuted at number 32. And The East from Magnolia Pictures debuted at number four, for those of you into limited release films. Um, Some other highlights here. um, All right, so the Worldwide Box Office, as it stands, uh, we have Hi Mom, Detective Chinatown, and Fast 9 all in the top three. But hey, Fast 9 actually... uh, crossed into the $600 million mark worldwide. It's actually vastly approaching $700 million. So, you know, it's creeping towards a billion. Creeping, creeping, creeping. You know, that's that's one success story despite the uh, the current situation with theaters and the, the world at large. Um, Godzilla vs. Kong, still stagnant at 467. Black Widow at 367. A Quiet Place, 295. And there's no movement for the rest of these. We've got Cruella, 221, The Conjuring, 200, Chinese Doctors at 197, and Impasse at 181. Um, rounding out the top 20 for Worldwide are Jungle Cruise, Peter Rabbit, A Writer's Odyssey, Space Jam, Sisters, Tom and Jerry, Ryan the Last Dragon, The Suicide Squad cracking the top 20, My Love and Wrath of Man. Those still asked out of the top 20 Worldwide are... Mortal Kombat, The Boss Baby, Old, The Forever Purge, uh, and Free Guy, currently at number 38 in the world, right between Break Through the Darkness at 52 and Love Will Tear Us Apart at 44. Uh, This weekend, it has a really good chance of maintaining its top spot. It'll be the first movie to do so in several weeks, as it has zero competition. The the, The only two... There's a couple of wide releases here, none of which are going to be peeling into its particular audience. You have Reminiscence, which is day and date on HBO Max. That's with Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson. It's some sort of science fiction thing. Um, You've got The Night House, which is a horror movie with Rebecca Hall from Searchlight. That has I haven't seen any advertisements for it. Um, for the kids, in limited release, you've got Paw Patrol, which how that didn't go directly to, Par- to Paramount Plus, I will never understand. Uh, you've got Finch, which is a drama sci-fi with um, Tom Hanks from Universal. I don't think anyone's going to go see that. You have The Protégé, which I've actually seen a couple of trailers for. Um, that's got Michael Keaton and Maggie Q and Samuel Jackson in it. That's in wide release from Lionsgate. Again, not exactly dipping into Free Guys's audience and that's about it um the week after that is Candyman. that'll be the number one uh movie at the box office nothing else will come close uh and then the weekend after that is shang chi tickets are on sale presently so 
though, I don't know if you saw this, Alexis, and I'm curious to get your opinion on the matter. Shang-Chi tracking to be the worst opening movie for a Marvel movie ever. No, I didn't see that. Does Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey know that so he can drop all the jokes about the Eternals? Um, I mean, the, the night is still young for the Eternals to do even worse. So, who knows? But, um, yeah, I saw... I'm, ex- I was like, I'm excited for Shang-Chi. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I saw an article, I think it was on Comic Book Resources yesterday, that, um, and, and I, I don't want to pull it up now, but for those interested, yeah, I actually saw an article yesterday that it was tracking for, I think, a $55 billion opening, and they're saying that's, like, one of the worst openings for a Marvel movie ever, so, I don't know, I don't know if it's general disinterest in the property, you know, I was thinking about this, and we can talk about this for a minute, and then we'll move on. So, Black Panther might not have been a well-known character amongst, you know, the people who don't follow comic books, but they, they had him in Civil War, People got to see Chadwick Boseman play him in Civil War and have a prominent role. He looked cool as shit. People were into it. And so when he had his own movie, it you know, it had all the things that normal Marvel movies had going for them at the time, not the least of which where there was no pandemic and we were right smack in the middle of the Infinity War saga. But also, you know, the, we had already known the character from a previous movie being cool as shit. And we wanted to see him in his own solo adventure. And so Black Panther does a billion dollars. It also becomes a cause to celebrate, uh, you know, it being an African-American superhero and all of that. And so, also one of, and also a superhero film directed by an African-American director. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so like I said, it was both in, behind and in front of the camera, a very black thing that people were celebrating in a time where we were doing that. So Shang-Chi, both behind and in front of the camera... Uh, is a cause celebre for Asians. And I don't know if people are as into it as much. We haven't seen Shang-Chi in anything else, so it's got that going against it. Oh, yeah, and we're in the middle of a second-degree you know, second degree pandemic. So it, I'm not entirely surprised if that's, in fact, true, that Shang-Chi is going to have one of the worst openings ever for a Marvel movie. But what say you? In addition to, yes, we are dealing with people worried about the the Delta wave coming in, and I understand that completely. I think there's also a trepidation because of what happened with Black Widow. Fans will be less interested in continuing the saga of the Marvel Cinematic Universe if the previous installment did not uh, really capture their attention. And, uh, you know, go listen to our discussion on Black Widow if you want to know why that movie was so bad. Plug, plug. I feel that if Shang-Chi was following on the steps of another uh, much more successful Marvel property, like maybe Black Panther, then yeah, things would people would be a little bit more excited about it. But as it is, I, worry, I think the other problem is, and I'm just going to say this, we right now are dealing with two Marvel properties coming out back-to-back, which very few people are familiar with, Shang-Chi and the Eternals. I'm a huge comic book nerd, and I know next to nothing about either of them. We also have Spider-Man coming out at the end of the year. And fans online, if they don't get a freaking No Way Home trailer soon, it's going to turn into a gigantic-ass mob, and they're going to take to the street with torches and pitchforks. (laughs) Seriously, I have at least three friends on Facebook who have taken to posting and tagging Marvel and Disney daily about how pissed they are that they're not getting a trailer. To which I I added... Now, I actually added, maybe they're holding off on the trailer because there's something in Shang-Chi that's leading to it, a la what happened with Spider-Man. 
Spider-Man uh, Far From Home having to wait until after Endgame so that we didn't get the Iron Man spoilers. Marvel does have a tendency of putting Easter eggs and hints to their future films in the properties, and then they have to be extra careful about trailers and whatnot that may spoil that because they don't want to reveal a trailer for something that could potentially spoil another property. Marvel has been really good about pacing that kind of stuff and laying the foundation. Kathleen Kennedy, please take notes. So, I am willing to give it a... Let me put it this way. If there is something in Shang-Chi that is explaining why we haven't gotten a lot of stuff on Spider-Man, or something in the Eternals that explains why we haven't gotten any news on Spider-Man, I would be more than willing to accept that. Again, very similar to how it's like, well, no wonder we didn't see anything from Far From Home, because it would have spoiled the Iron Man uh, ending of Endgame. But if we find out that neither of those films had anything to do with No Way Home, and Marvel was just pussyfooting for lack of better words yeah i think fans are going to be very pissed this is a movie that we are all crazy excited we're not only because it's been hinted that this is going to be the biggest introduction to the multiverse aside from loki talking about that tomorrow again plug plug but it's from freaking sam raimi who did the or no not sam raimi that's the doctor strange film but still, this is going to be a Spider-Man uh, No Way Home is supposed to be a massive setup for how the Marvel films are going to go in the future. We are all done with we're done with the Infinity Saga. We're done with Thanos. Fans want to know what is the next story arc. We want to know what comes next. We, I mean, obviously, Kang the Conqueror is coming, but we want to know what's the big MacGuffin? Who's the big bad? Is it Kang? Are we getting Doctor Doom? Is there someone else coming? We're excited to know that, and I feel that fans are getting a little anxious and, you know, just very upset that we're not getting a lot of news about that, and a lot of that is due to the pandemic. I feel that Shang-Chi is also getting pushed back or getting that kind of feedback because a lot of fans are saying, well, this pro film probably isn't going to lay the foundations for the future Marvel films. It's probably going to be a standalone film. That's not a bad thing, but it's clear that we really do want to see where things are going now. So I think that's part of the reason why Shang-Chi is not getting uh, as much love, for a lack of better terms, as you would probably assume. Yeah, I feel like... I'll say this and then we can move on. Um, I think they did a disservice to the character by starting him off with no other... Well, you don't, you know, it's, they have the Mandarin in this, but it's not the Ben Kingsley Mandarin, so you don't even have that connection. You know, it, it, you're just starting off cold uh, with this character, and <clears throat> I feel like had they found a way to include somebody from this movie in a previous film, and I don't mean, and I, and I don't mean the Abomination, you know... Like, I don't know. I don't know if there was a way to incorporate the Shang-Chi character in Black Widow, so at least you saw him there, and then, like, okay, well, then now he gets his own movie, or swap this with something else. Like, it's weird they rushed this into production, and they wanted to get it out before Doctor Strange. Like, like that's what the, Like, if I had to swap movies right now, if I could rearrange the... Um, Eternals is fine where it is, but I think the next movie we should have gotten after Black Widow was Doctor Strange, especially... Especially if, um, you know, we've already gotten WandaVision and we've already gotten Loki. The next movie needs to be Doctor Strange, like, right now, not in two movies. I agree. Again, fans are real. We have seen where Marvel is going with this, and fans are really excited to start continuing this. It's like the idea of a video game. Uh, let's say, like, I don't know, Kingdom Hearts. 
and they set up where they want to go with the next Kingdom Hearts game, but instead of actually giving us the next Kingdom Hearts game, we get another one of those side games where they just rehash the old stories, like Chain of Memories. We're sitting here going, no, we really want to continue the story now. It's right. like, we don't want, it's like, no more side quests, no more mini games. put us back on the main path, please. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the critical review. Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 The critical review is brought to you by Grammarly. For you listeners of DMU Hollywood, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. That's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. Alrighty. So it's got an 83% uh, rating from the professional critics and a 95% audience score. The critics say, combining a clever concept, uh, sweet self-aware humor, and a charming cast for you guys is frivolous fun. It seems like a bit underselling it, but okay. Uh, the audience says... Free guys, an all-around good time with a funny Ryan Reynolds performing, leading an exciting story, and some impressive special effects. Alrighty, but not everyone loved it. Alexis, can you imagine? And, and so, just remember, I'm in my car, so I can't really jump in a foxhole. <laughs> well, there's no foxhole to well, jump in. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I could find a foxhole, but I'm gonna need a tow truck. No, no, no. You, there, there's nobody that's going to be screaming on this side for you to jump into a foxhole to avoid. So you have you have you have to now do the part of Robert Winfrey and freak out and yell and yelling curse of credit. See, that's your job now. If you hear a giant crash and shattering glass, then Robert will be proud. Like, <laughs> Robert, wow, she was so pissed off she wrecked her car. <laughs> Robert Dennerstein of Dennerstein Unleashed. Free guy plays a hollow game. <sighs> What does that even mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's like I, I, I don't get the comparison. I don't get the context. I, I don't even get the word choice. It, that makes no sense. Uh, David Fear of Rolling Stone, top critic. A rag of which I would not wipe my behind with. Rolling Stone. It operates on the high-concept notion of a non-playable character experiencing an existential crisis, but only as a delivery system for your standard steroidal blockbuster. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess you don't like movies with car chases, guns, and explosions. No, he's from Rolling Stone. If it's not uh, a half-naked woman sh shooting heroin in a moonlit window, uh, he's not into it. You know, Ooh, I used to want to be a... Sorry. You know, I used to want to be a reporter for Rolling Stone when I was in high school. I understand. Everyone, yeah, no, seriously. Uh, when, you know, the, you ever seen the movie Almost Famous? Yeah, that's also what I keep referencing. Yeah, um, when that came out, everyone assumed that was going to be me. <laughs> Jesse Hasinger of Paste Magazine. The real world material of which there is overmuch is disastrous, pitched with nonstop exposition and sputtering buzzword laden quips. Movie? Does this movie move a little too fast for you, Bucky? <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. Blige Abiri of New York Magazine Vulture, top critic. Oh, see, this is where I miss Robert. Ooh, Vulture. Much vaunted magazine. For a film that doesn't have an original bone in its body, Free Guy is surprisingly tolerable. Good isn't the word, though. All right. Seriously? They're very snooty over there at New York Magazine. Um, Anthony, for the say, I don't get why people snark on this for the script and for originality. This film actually, before it got made, was on 2016's black, uh, top blacklist Hollywood scripts uh, list. You know, the list that they do yearly of films that haven't been made yet, but are, are scripts that are circulating around Hollywood but haven't been picked up. Okay. Yeah, this was like one of the top ones. They said that's one of the reasons why it got made was that people read and review those scripts and go yeah this would be a good script why hasn't someone made it yet gotcha anthony lane of the new yorker top critic free guy is exhausting to behold new yorker delete your your film critic part just just there's no reason to have it whatever it is you're writing about these days focus on that and just leave the films alone because clearly anthony lane and your entire magazine just hates movies I'm sorry, did Anthony Lane also go to a 4D experience? <laughs> I, I hate to say, I didn't get a chance to tell that the story on this review. I made the mistake of going to a 4D theater in Orlando to see this. I didn't even realize what it was, which has the seats move and adds an elemental ele- uh, elements. It's very similar to those virtual roller coasters that you have at like Universal Stu- uh, Studios and stuff like that. Which isn't bad. The problem is that the headrests have air jets behind you that puff little things of air whenever someone fires a gun. Spoiler alert, there's a lot of gunfire in this movie. I ended up slouching down because the the little puffs of air were hitting my hair and my ears and just, oh my god, driving me absolutely insane. I could I could barely handle it during the um, uh, James Bond trailer that played. I was like, ah, okay, I'm done, screw this. But, yeah, then I'm basically slouched down, holding on for dear life while the seats roll all over the place and move in. And by the time it was done, I walked out like an old woman off of a roller coaster going, <laughs> ow, ow, my back, ow, ow. This is a good movie, folks. And if you and I do recommend seeing it in 3D, just skip the fourth dimension. Alan Zilberman of Spectrum Culture. Long stretches of the film are about as fun as waiting for you to turn on your PlayStation. For your turn on a PlayStation. Wait, it only gets better. Nate Adams of The Only Critic. You are not the only critic, sir. <laughs> Boy, is that, that is a lie and a half. His review. Hit the reset button. <sighs> How old is this dude? <laughs> reset button? That's all right. Reset he- button? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here's Marianne Johansson, who did not like this film at all, from Flick Philosopher. Messy sci-fi comedy, cheerful on the surface, but nihilistic underneath. Nihilistic underneath. Oh, Alexis shut Hanger. up, you pathetic hipster. <laughs> Is utterly I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so... Okay, there are certain words that need to be not removed, but dramatically decreased from the everyday human vocabulary. Nihilistic is one of them, because it's a term that people use that's like... It has lost all of its true meaning, which is incredibly ironic when you think about it. But it's really annoying when people play that on. It's like, no, this is not true nihilism, okay? Quit using that word. If I can channel little Inigo Montoya, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you, I don't think you know what it means. She has more to say. Uh, nihilistic Underneath is utterly clueless about all the things it is almost about. AI, gaming, and the bread and circuses of 
uh, the bread and circuses power of immersive worlds. Yeah. All right. A few more of these, and then we'll call it a night. Um, uh, Richard lost in a vanity fair. Free Guy has moments of dizzying action and offers us some intriguing sci-fi speculation, but is decidedly not a cool movie. How do you know what's a cool movie and what's not? How do you, you don't get to decide what's cool for me? Jerk. I was gonna say I thought this movie was incredibly cool. I don't get what he considers cool. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Well, John Anderson of the Wall Street Journal, top critic. It would be inspiring if it weren't so silly, though as AIs evolve, one can imagine one's kitchen appliances trying to unionize and Alexa asking for a little more privacy. Oh, shut up. <laughs> it's just... Boo! Uh, somebody <laughs> saw the opening scene of Transformers 2 too many times. All right. Um, one more and then uh, we'll say goodbye here. Oh, that's it. That's the end of this. Um... Nick de Semlin of Empire Magazine, top critic. Not quite Ready Player One star. <laughs> Wait, there's more. Not quite Ready Player One star. But this is an odd duck. A Black Mirror-ish concept played for laughs, which ends up tangled up in its own code. God, I hate reviews like that. Uh, okay, first of all, you need to have your credit card revoked for that stupid Ready Player One joke. Secondly... Stop trying to compare everything to Black Mirror. Carla Hay of Culture Mix. The movie overloads on tech jargon. Again, a little too hard for you to understand, madam. Aw, oh, she doesn't know what that what the coding means. Oh, the poor thing. And formulaic action scenes as gimmicks that can't hide this movie's lazy banality. The stale jokes in Free Guy, get this, Seem like they were programmed by a computer from the 1990s. How could you know that? You don't understand what they're talking about half the time, stupid. I lost you there. I actually didn't hear the last line. Oh, I, all right. Doesn't matter. I, I, I closed the page. All right. So um, that's it. That's our review of Free Guy. Just a quick plug here. We've got reviews for Fatherhood, um, Good on Paper, and Locked Up, Locked Down, rather. Uh, up in the archives, we have a re myself and Cole finished up our review of Transformers: War for Cybertron Kingdom. That's in the uh, that's in the archives. Alexis Hannah and I reviewed the book that was pointed at from about a, from about a hundred yards on the Loki show. Vote Loki. Um, that was a little fun satire of the 2016 election, starring your favorite god and mine, Loki. So that's in there. Tomorrow we'll have a re-airing of our review of San Andreas, starring The Rock. And then tomorrow night, we'll have a review of Loki, the first season of the television show. Uh, we'll have some re-airs this weekend. We've got the re-air of, of our Long Road to Ruin for Lord of the Rings. Uh, and then we'll, because uh, Candyman comes out a week from Friday, we're going to look back at some other Clive Barker projects. Uh, two Long Road to Ruins, uh, looking at the Hellraiser franchise. So uh, Robert and Sean Comer broke those up into the good, the bad, and the yikes. Uh, part one airs Sunday, October 22nd. Part two airs the 23rd. And then uh, that night, myself, and this might be my last plug, that night, myself and Christian, finally, 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 Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, put an end, ladies and gentlemen, to my run on source material. Yes, 
Source Material Live, after over a year, is coming to an end. Alexis Haina had her last show on the Vote Loki yesterday. And Christian will be on the very, very, very last show I'm doing after this. Um, as a matter of fact, August 30th, Jesse returns for good with uh, Chris Armstrong, and they'll be looking at Shang-Chi by Gene Luen Yang, Volume 1, Brothers and Sisters. Uh, that'll air right before Shang-Chi comes to theaters on September 3rd. Um, so yeah, Chris Sheehan and I will be reviewing X-Men, Deadly Genesis. He's a big X-Men fan. He has a podcast looking at the uh, current X-Men books called X-Lapse. He'll be, he had a run with me um, when Alexis wasn't doing shows, he was. Uh, so he gets to do the last one with me, and so that's what we'll be doing, X-Men, Deadly Genesis by Ed Brubaker, who, uh, who's a writer I enjoy. So check that out. All right, Alexis, uh, you're headed to another con, right? Yes, I am. Uh, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. We just wrapped things up in MegaCon in Orlando. Had a wonderful time there, but you know, considering how much the rain, how much it was raining because we got pre-hurricane season, I'm happy to be getting out of the South. This weekend, we will be at Planet Comic Con in Kansas City. It's our home show, so happy to be there. And then next weekend, back on the road to Colorado Springs for their Comic Con. Free time. What's that? Of course, everything is still in stock on our online stores. That's Etsy and Handmade and Amazon. And for those in the uh, Kansas City area, if you can't make it to Planet Comic Con, our stuff is also being sold at two shops right now, Level 1 in the River Market area and Mind Games and Magic in Lee Summit. We're actually working with a uh, shop right now in a town in Mississippi, believe it or not. They reached out to us, said they were interested in wholesale. I will hopefully be putting together a contract with them as soon as I, I you know, get out of the car tonight and I can actually pull open my laptop and get some work done. So, but yes, uh, and of course, keep uh, look out on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, uh, especially those who were in Megacon. Go to our Instagram and Facebook page. We took pictures of all the cosplay co uh, characters that came past our table, and we have posted it on both of those pages. So if you were there and you think you might have gotten your photo taken, go ahead, head over so you can tag yourself. We love seeing, uh, you know, everyone come back to take a look at their photos. So again, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. All right, folks, thanks for joining us here on Damn You Hollywood. Be well, be safe, and behave.